Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 226, Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier, and Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega. And Shaq, they got two super fights on the card this weekend, International Fight Week, and uh, it's Max Bet season, my man. Yeah, Stipe Miocic is probably the greatest heavyweight of all time, and Cormier, I mean, his resume speaks for itself. He was undefeated at heavyweight, and I mean, quite frankly, he said he's never lost anything at heavyweight, so it's going to be a great fight. And then Max Holloway, you know, 11-12 fight win streak against Ortega, who consistent third-round finishes, and now he's getting first-round and second-round finishes, a guy that keeps improving, so I'm super excited. And, you know, they're pretty much on the same win streak because Ortega's on about a 13-fight win streak as well. Yeah. So <laughs> this is really number one versus number two. It's peak MMA. And uh, we got a special guest on the line. You know, the fans, they loved uh, his appearance last week on Half the Battle. They said, when are you going to have this man back? We always listen to the fans. And joining us now is UFC featherweight Chaz the Scrapper Skelly. Chaz, welcome back to Half the Battle. Yo, yo, yo. Good, good to be back. Good to have you back, man. Uh, I know you're excited about this one. I mean, the featherweight title's on the line, the heavyweight title's on the line, plus a super stacked card. Uh, and it's going down in Vegas this weekend, Chess. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a great fight card, man. I'm super excited. I think uh, I'm confident in my picks this week. And this has been a long week of breaking down film for me. And unlike other weeks, I feel like sometimes I have really technical breakdowns where I'm like, yeah, this guy does this, this guy does this, this guy does this really well. This week, I think I got so caught up in just uh, how good a lot of the people are on this card. I just started watching the fights, you know, as opposed to like breaking them down technically and going back and watching sequences. Uh, I just really was watching the fights, man. There's a lot of just talented, talented, talented fighters on this card. I'm super excited. Absolutely, and the lines reflect that. I mean, you see pick'em fights throughout the board. There's only a couple of uh, wide lines on this entire card, so you know it's safe to say that there's going to be some closely contested matchups. And and uh, Shaq, man, if they ain't already here, uh, it's Max Bet season this Saturday in Las Vegas. Yeah, Max Bet season for UFC 226 and the Tough Finale on Friday. You guys know what Max Bet season means, so uh, let's get this money. Yeah, and before we break down this card, I just wanted to say, uh, I know they remember our Max Bet on Carlo Pedersoli. It just came out that Brad Scott tested positive for steroids. So now I know why he walked through all those shots the way he did, uh, Shaq. And, uh, you know, we always talk about it's a Max Bet when your worst-case scenario still wins the fight. Not only were the judges trying to fuck us, Brad Scott was on steroids. He walked through head kicks, no problem, and uh, but he but Max Best season still came through, and Carlo Pedersoli got the win. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's sad to see that Brad had to you know resort to that, but uh, you know he should take his suspension like a man and move on. Exactly. Well, now let's break down this card start to finish. And first up in the UFC lightweight division, we got Lando Venata. He's minus one eighty five. The comeback on Drakkar Close is plus one sixty. Now, both of these guys fought David Tamor, and you know, when you get in there with David Tamor, uh, he's going to put on that point-fighting clinic against you, but man, it's interesting to see Lando in there with Drakkar. A lot of people think that Drakkar might have a grappling edge in this fight, Shaq, but I feel like they don't know that Lando's actually former D1 wrestler. Now, he did drop out, but at least he made the team. What's your opinion on this matchup? Yeah, you know, I think Jakar has a bright future, but I just don't think he's on this level. When I look at Venata, I know his UFC record might not look the best. And, yeah, you know, what we know of Venata is, you know, taking a lot of damage. But look who he's been in there against. Tony Ferguson, uh, who's a champion, right? Um, David Taymor, one of the top prospects at 155, who beat Jakar close as well. 
and uh, Bobby Green, who's like 23-8. and eight. And you know who Bobby Green fought before that? Edson, Dustin, and Rashid Magomedov. That's the type of level that uh, Lando Venata's on. You know, Jakar Close, you know, he fought Devin Powell, and he couldn't even finish Devin Powell, you know, who's one of the uh, more, you know, weaker lightweights on the roster. I think Jakar, you know, has a simple game. You know, I think, uh, you know, He's got a he's got a big body and you know he's a bully, but I think that's it. I think that's all his game consists of. I just think he you know has a calf kick, a couple big punches, and a tie up game. And his tie up game really ain't that effective. The Casey got out of his tie ups, took him down. They had a back and forth uh, wrestling and grappling exchanges consistently throughout the fight. And Lando took down Bobby Green. Who else takes down Bobby Green? And I think this is a big step down in competition. I think uh, Lando's experienced everything you could possibly experience in the octagon. I think he's too clean on the feet i think jakar presents a lot of openings and i actually think lando has better cardio because at the pace that uh the, the fights that he's been in those are real fights i don't think jakar close has experienced anything like that so i got lando by uh second round knockout Chaz, this should be an exciting matchup which way are you going yeah uh i'm, I'm also gonna go with lando matter of fact this was one of my bets i i uh so i had my Oh, I had my doubts at the very beginning when I very first started watching the film. I said, you know, one thing that scares me about this fight is that I feel like Lando, um, after the first round, after he, he expelled a lot of energy because he used a lot of explosive movements, and all those explosive movements, they take energy, obviously. So this guy's out there, and he's moving, he's moving, he's moving like crazy. In the first round, he's so hard to hit. Like, he's so hard to hit because he moves so well. He moves laterally. I mean, you never know where he's going. You never know what he's throwing. He throws all kinds. He throws a variation of strikes. He's coming from every direction. Uh, just his head movement's on point. After he exposed all that energy in the first round, uh, those fast switch movements kind of slow down. And the thing that I that scares me about this is I feel like uh, Car Close wants you to stand in front of him, and he wants to he wants to throw be able to throw those big looping hooks. He wants to be able to uh, brawl with you a little bit. Now I look at Car Close, and I say I look at this guy, and I say that raw power. I think that he has a, a lot more raw power than Lando. And now you say like, how oh, how could that be? He doesn't have knockouts. Lando has knockouts because he is so accurate, and he puts the he puts his punches exactly where he wants them to be, not because he just has a ton of power. He, just, he looks like a small, uh, you know, lightweight to me. He looks like he could drop the featherweight. Um, but he's so accurate with his punches, and he puts volume on people, and that, that really wears people down. Well, I thought that possibly, uh, you know, Close could, could uh, after the first round was over, get in, brawl, get those big takedowns, not hold him down or anything like that, but get the takedowns and get the points. And when Lando started slow down, he would get in those brawling exchanges and close would uh, tear him up and inside just with those brawling exchanges. Then when I went back and I, I watched this film obsessively, I mean, I watched, I watched all of their fights just over and over. I don't think that's going to happen. I just see Lando coming out and, and really... What, what got me was when you watch the David Tamer fight against Close, movement, that outside movement frustrates him so bad that he gets in his own head and he just can't, it's like he can't perform that. He gets so frustrated by the movement, he just wants somebody to stand in front of him, and that's just not going to happen with Lando. 
Lando's not going to stand in front of him. He's going to move. He's going to move. He's going to move. I know that Lando has to have watched the film with David Tamer. I watched David Tamer versus Lando, and that was a hell of a fight. That was a crazy fight. I don't like how much damage Lando takes later in the round because I do feel like he stands still. But like you said, when I went back and watched, he was fighting Bobby Green when he got busted up. Bobby Green was stud. And Bobby Green had a great jab. And Bobby, he was using that jab. And I don't think that uh, Ducar Close really possesses that skill. I think he's more of a takedown guy, more of a power takedown. And I think Lando can stop those. So I'm going to go with Lando uh, TKO round two. Yeah, listen, I'm going to complete the hat trick, boys. I feel like Drakkar Close, uh, he's a bully out there. And if he's not able to bully you, he's going to get frustrated like you alluded to, Chaz. And, you know, 20 seconds in that David Tamor fight, he's putting his hands up in the air. And I want to talk about Herb Dean for a second. How disgusting was Herb <laughs> Dean showing in that David Tamor fight to go over to David Tamor and warn him for timidity when David's playing his point fighting game and Drakkar's <laughs> the one not engaging? I was like, Herb, you're on the decline, my man. Yeah. <laughs> That that was that was some bullshit. I will say, uh, when I watched that fight, I was pretty mad about that. But I'll say another thing. I love Herbie. Like, I know people. I know the people have talked some shit about Herbie. I actually think that he's one of the best refs that we have uh, in mixed martial arts. And for not stopping the fight with uh, what's the the dude that knocked me down in Brazil. Kevin Souza. <laughs> my eyes were rolling back in my head. He didn't stop that fight. He let me fight through it, and I am forever grateful for that, and I will always be Team Herb Dean, my boy. My <laughs> that, was, boy. that was one of his better decisions, Chaz, but uh, lately, you know, it's uh, just, like, just like the fight game. You know, when you get up there in age, uh, those reactions start slowing down. I feel like my boy Irv's reactions have been slowing down, as you saw in that Tamor fight. But back to this one with Drakkar Close and Lando. You know, I feel like there's this myth going around that Lando gasses out at the seven-and-a-half-minute mark of every single fight. And I just don't think that's the case, man. I think if you're fighting Tony Ferguson, who doesn't gas out against Tony <laughs> Ferguson? Kevin Lee and Edson Barboza were gassed out at the end of the first round against Tony Ferguson. At least Lando went RDA. out there. RDA is well, at least Lando went out there and dropped Tony Ferguson three times on short notice. Then he goes in there with the UFC vet, John McDessie, who's had over 10 UFC fights, handles him in under two minutes. Then he goes in there with David Tamor, one of the best prospects at 155. Now, that was a back-and-forth fight. That was a war. Some of those shots that Lando uh, landed on uh, David Tamor would have put out you know, many people in that division. I mean, when he threw that cartwheel kick and it was shin on shin, I just don't understand how David Tamor just ate that no problem. You know what I'm saying? And... And when Lando yeah. would use his D1 wrestling, he'd take down David Tamor. Tamor would pop back up. But as you saw in the fight with Lentz, like, Tamor's get-up game, his takedown defense, his anti-wrestling is uh, very, very on point. He's someone you got to look out for. And I just don't feel like Drakkar possesses uh, those qualities at all. I feel like if he can't front-run, if he can't bully, if he can't you know, get you to play his little game, then uh, you'll go out there and beat him. And I see Lando going out there and beating him. Now, next up, also in the lightweight division, we got Dan Hooker. He's minus 125. The comeback on Gilbert Dorinho Burns is plus 105. Now, Chaz, I know Gilbert's your training partner. You got the inside info. Uh, what's the scoop here, man? Uh, you know, I actually, I haven't been, I haven't been working with Gilbert for this camp, but uh, when I look at when I look at this fight, what I see is initially, I say that. Gilbert possesses more skill. I feel like when somebody is so much better than somebody else at one thing, at, at a specific thing, 
then you should you should lean towards that guy. I mean, I feel like the Gilbert's ground game is just like head and shoulders. I know that it's head and shoulders over Hooker, and I know that Gilbert 100% possesses the ability to get this to the ground. His he works hard on his wrestling every day. His cardio is on point. The guy just works his butt off, and uh, his wrestling's gotten like pretty good. His striking's gotten really good. His jiu-jitsu, I mean, he's a world champ for a reason. And I just feel like that he possesses the ability to take this guy down and just really, really, really dominate the fight. When I watch Hooker fight, I see a great striker. I see a guy that's super durable, and he's got a great chin. He's found a niche in that knee. But I think when you watch his fights and you know that knee's coming, I mean – how else are you seeing him knock people down? I mean, you're not you're not really seeing him drop people with anything other than that knee. I mean, I think he dropped Jason Knight once in their fight, but he popped right back up. If you pressure Dan Hooker, you move forward and you pressure him, and he can't, like, uh, I just feel like you're going to be able to beat him, and then you're going to be able to take him down pretty easy. Jason Knight took him down super easy. I think... Uh, Gilbert's takedowns are much better than Jason Knight's. Jason Knight dominated him on the ground, took his back really, really easy, and was able to control the rounds like that. I think I see Gilbert doing something similar, except for I see Gilbert finishing him with a submission. So I'm going to go uh, Gilbert Burns, second round, armbar. So, Shaq, I mean, Chaz brings up some very, very good points, man. And But here's my here's my thing with this. Gilbert Drinho's knocked out his last two opponents. You know, sometimes... <laughs> With these grapplers, uh, when they start knocking dudes out, they fall in love with that knockout power. You think he's going to try to stand and bang with Hooker, or you think he's going to take the path of least resistance and take him down? I mean, this is one of the fights I'm actually looking forward to the most because it's a lot of, uh, this might be like the people's main event type of thing. It's a lot of back and forth opinions. So, like with Hooker, I think he's way better at 155. I think what he's been doing is great. He's been picking dudes apart on the feet, you know, with the jab and the, the slipping ribbon, like Chaz said, the knees. But the thing is, Look at who he's fought. Ross Pearson, who's on his way out. Um, DeCasey, who's like my age. He's like a kid. And, you know, DeCasey, you know, is a good win. And then uh, Jim Miller, who's lost like, what, three, four in a row. And then, uh, you know, with Gilbert Burns, I feel like, you know, in the past, I kind of, you know, gave him a bad reputation as a guy that didn't like to get hit, you know, just due to that Rashid fight. But, I mean, look at the guys two losses, Rashid and Tractor Brazeros. Look at those guys' records. So, Gilbert, deser- Gilbert Burns uh, deserves the utmost respect. And, you know, to convincingly say that, you know, Hooker's going to be okay on the map is uh, is not right. Because there's a difference between, you know, like we were saying with Cesar Ferreira fought Carlo, uh, Roberson in uh, Brazil. There's a difference between these regular black belts and these Davi Ramos and these Cesar Ferreira's and the Gilbert Burns. One mistake on the mat, like we saw when he fought Sayeski or Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Like you guys said, it might be over. So to say Hooker's going to be convincingly okay on the mat is not right in my opinion. We saw what happened in the night fight, the Yair fight, the Hachi Hiyoki fight before he uh, got that knockout. He does get taken down. But those guys at 155 that he's fought so far aren't going to test him in that area. And in the same sense with Burns, he's fought Moret and... Uh, Sago. And Sago, those guys uh, aren't on Hooker's level in my opinion, but he did handle those guys accordingly because we had a play on Sago and he uh, knocked Sago out cold. So, you know, Burns, is uh, he's got some big-time power, man. You know, I actually um, gained a lot of respect for him. I think he's a lot better than people think. That tie-up game series, his power is serious. It's just a, it's a matter of how he, how he reacts when he gets hit. 
because that has been his weakness in the past. He, you know, has a tendency, a tendency to shell up a little bit here and there and, you know, make a little faces. But I actually think Burns is uh, going to get this win. I actually think he's going to get that explosive submission. I think uh, Hooker might be doing a little well early, but I think Burns will land a big overhand right at some point. And uh, I think Burns is going to get us up. Man, it's such a good fight because the way Hooker's been looking on the feet, I understand he's fighting, you know, 50-year-olds oh, yeah, like nice. Ross and Jim. But, man, that distance he's got nowadays. Because one thing we always criticized him for at 45 was that the dude was so hittable that, uh, you know, he had that tall man defense. You know, guys could just walk him down, land big overhands on him, and it would look really bad. He's got a great chin, but he would take so much damage. I mean, I know you remember that Maximo Blanco fight. But now at 55, I feel like his distance is a lot better. And he's just maturing as a fighter. I heard an interview with him. He said that, you know, you guys have seen my entire career before your eyes because I basically he kind of came into the UFC really young so he's kind of grown up in front of us so I do think he's getting better yeah you know, I'm not sure if he's gonna land a knee here like he did against Ross and Jim but I do think if he keeps it standing that he can pick apart Gilbert Dorino it's just about it really comes down to Gilbert's approach for me here like I said earlier if Gilbert's falling in love with his knockout power he wants to come out here and test that against Hooker I do see Hooker popping that head back with the jab but if Gilbert wants to go ahead blast double him get him down he can, he can probably tap him out right away. It just comes down to the approach. I do have a slight suspicion that Gilbert's falling in love with that knockout power. I mean, he knocked two guys stiff like that, and they were both out cold, man. They weren't TKOs either. Uh, I think you're going to try. I mean, you saw what happened to Ellenberger. I'm not talking about Ellenberger nowadays. I'm talking about Ellenberger a couple of years ago after he knocked out Shields. Uh, he just wanted to stand and bang with everyone, and you got to remember that you're a he grappler, was, he man. Did, uh, he did take Moret and Sago down like, before he knocked them out too. So Yeah, that's true. So It's going to be interesting to see if uh, he can finish uh, – Hooker on the map, but I'm going to go the opposite side as you guys. I'm going to go with Dan Hooker via split decision. When you, when you talk about, I feel like uh, with this fight, a grappler that gets a few knockouts, um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing as long as they as long as long they remember that they're still a grappler. Like, you look at somebody like Gilbert, I think that's a reason that he has struggled with a couple of people he struggled with in the past is because he was really, he was taking, he was looking for a couple of takedowns naked takedowns like you say you shouldn't throw naked kicks you shouldn't throw you shouldn't shoot naked takedowns when somebody respects your striking respects your power it really opens up your takedowns a lot more i think that him being him improving and striking the way that he has is only going to make his grappling and mma that much better because he's going to be able to strike into a takedown people have to respect his striking they have to keep their guard up which opens up his takedowns you watch the maximo blanco fight when Dan Hooker was pressured, Maximo Blanco did nothing that fight but throw volume. Did nothing but throw volume. And I know what you're saying. It was kind of young. It's, I mean, you say young in his career. Dan Hooker is 17 and 7. So, I mean, the last set, six, seven, eight fights, I mean, you know, the guy still had a lot of fights on his record. He's got 25, 24 fights. That's four more than I do. You know, and I don't consider myself a young fighter. So, you know, I think uh, I think that all this I think that uh, Gilbert getting better at striking is only going to open up his grappling more, and I think you're going to see that in this fight. He brings up some great points. Uh, that's why we got you on the show. So next up in the welterweight division, we got Curtis Melender is mm -hmm. minus one sixty five. The comeback on Max Payne Griffin is plus one forty five. Now, uh, Shaq, I have a feeling these two are going to stand and bang mm -hmm. until one man falls. The question is, uh, who's that one man going to be? You know, uh, Griffin's. You know, I always put Griffin in that category. A group of guys where, like, you know, where you watch them on tape and you think this guy kind of sucks. <laughs> but then, 
for some reason, when they get in there with them, it's a little bit different. So I guess you could kind of put them in that category. And Melender had an impressive debut against Tiago, but, you know, Tiago is an old man. and But he did style on him, made him look silly. And uh, as far as his fight goes, obviously Melender has the height and reach on uh, Max Payne. He's 6'3", long, I think he has 80-inch reach, right? Yeah, so super long. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if he keeps his range, jabs him up, and plays it safe... And you know, you know, takes a point fighting style approach to this. I think he can win a decision. That's if he does. But we know his his grappling game is. He's done a couple a couple things where uh, I mean he has been tapped out by Brendan Ward and Fernando back in the day. But then on the local scene, he's pulled a couple you know interesting things off. But the thing is, Griffin is also a guy that if you watch his local scene fights, he's getting taken down by jobbers and getting his back taken. So you know it's an interesting fight. I think these two are going to stand a bang. I favor Melinda. I think he keeps his range. You know, throws that jab, the one two, the teeps of the body, and I think uh, Griffin's going to crack him a couple times. But I think he'll stay composed. But like I said, be careful with Griffin because it's hard to get a good read on him. Skelly, so obviously you got two strikers in there. Conventional wisdom says they're going to stand and bang till one man falls. But my question here, besides the winner, is who's going to shoot for that first takedown, Chess? Uh, I will 100% tell you that if there is a takedown shot, it's going to be Max Griffin. I think, uh, you know, honestly, this could be this could be a tale of two really, really good you know, two good strikers out there, you know, just throwing, or it could be a tale of who has the better, terrible wrestling, to be honest. Um, and if, if it comes to wrestling, I would give Max Griffin the edge. I, I think just from watching the film, I, you know, I just don't see Curtis Melinder as any kind of wrestler or grappler at all. I think that the guy's got, he's got one thing in his bag and it's really good striking, but he's really good at it. And I think that this is one of those matchups that that could favor him, considering that Max Griffin's also a striker, doesn't have, doesn't really have much in the way of wrestling. But I, I think the one thing that Max Griffin showed against uh, Mike Perry, because Mike Perry did take him down, and he got right back up. You know, he he showed an ability. He showed he showed that he has at least the fighting IQ and grappling IQ to know where he's better and know what he's good at. And in that fight, he really worked the outside. You know, he, he gave Perry a lot of trouble just with speed and footwork and, and using those outside. You know, he, he wasn't just throwing one punch. He was, throwing, he was throwing, you know, combinations from the outside and moving and combinations and moving and combinations and moving. And that really gave Mike Perry a lot of trouble. So I like Curtis Melinder in this fight because I think it's going to be a, a purely striking battle. Uh, I don't think Max Griffin is going to look for the takedowns. But I will say one thing that scares me. Uh, I think that Curtis Melinder has a tendency to depend a little bit too much on his just pure athleticism. He he's a plotty, he he doesn't he doesn't move a lot. You know he's one of those guys that he's kind of slow moving forward. He's a very very fast fighter, but he he kind of moves forward in a slow manner, and then he he uses his head movement and shoulder rolls a lot. Well. When Max Griffin comes forward, he has a very good – Max Griffin will take a half step back, and then he'll throw a 3-2 with a really long two, or he'll throw a 2-3, which is what he dropped Mike Perry with. And I think that Curtis Melinder has a tendency to pull his head back straight up, and, and he gets caught by the more explosive fighters like the guy that he fought on the regional scene. Uh, Kevin Holland? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Holland. When he fought Holland – 
you saw he did exactly that. He was really he was beating Holland up in the striking. But what Holland did really good is he's an explosive guy. Curtis Melinder is used to fighting guys that aren't as explosive as him, that aren't as fast as him. So when he's when he's striking, he sees everything coming. He can move his head straight up, and he can move back slightly, and he can shoulder roll. When you get somebody who's super fast and explosive, which Max Griffin is, and Kevin Holland is, you get caught with that. He got caught with that against Kevin Holland. I, for one, stayed away from this bet because I just felt like uh, if it turns into a battle of two shitty wrestlers, I feel like Max Griffin wins. If it turns into a pure striking battle, I feel like Curtis Winder wins, but I do see an avenue for Max Griffin to win. I stayed away from it. I don't think it's a good bet, but I'll give it to Curtis Melinder. If he wins, I see him winning by TKO. Yeah, I'm going to go with Curtis Melinder as well. I got a lot of respect for both guys. You know, Max Griffin, he's only been fighting uh, tough competition inside the UFC. I mean, goes in there with Colby Covington in that debut. Obviously, he starched, uh, you know, Montano exactly how you're supposed to in under a minute. Then he fights Zaleski in Brazil has a war and we say hey you know you should probably take a year off before you come back he takes less than a year off comes back beats mike perry in mike perry's backyard so you know mike uh, i mean max griffin has only fought very tough guys inside the octagon now the trend continues here against curtis melender i feel like curtis melender you know i hate to say oh he's the more technical striker and this and that but he really is man i mean his parrying game is on point the head movement that chas skelly alluded to and uh with with Max, I feel like it's all about landing that one big shot. And if he's able to do that, you know, because Curtis does have a little bit of that tall man defense. He, he's very, very confident. Might be a little bit arrogant. So sometimes he does back up with his hands down and his chin up. But, uh, you know, my boy Max is very confident in his power too. I just feel like Curtis might string his combinations together better than Max does. And I feel like that's what's going to win him this fight. But obviously when you got two guys with that kind of power, it could go either way. But I'm going to go with Curtis Melender. I think he's the rightful favorite. Now, next up in the UFC Bantamweight division, we got Rafael Asuncao. He's minus 170. The comeback on Robbie Font is plus 150 now. Shaq, do you think the line is where it should be, or do you think uh, Rafael should be a bigger favorite here? Um, you know, it's a it's an interesting question. I think it's right where it should be. I think Asuncao on the given day might be the best Bantamweight in the world. He beat Marlon Marais. TJ uh, Dillashaw. And TJ Dillashaw, so... Well, and he's been like more than half the top fifteen. <laughs> he beat so. the entire top fifteen. <laughs> so, uh, what he, his resume speaks for itself. Rob Font's always been one of these guys where you know they've labeled him up to be a future champ. You know, way back in the day, this and that, and you know he's had a good career. His only losses are to you know Lineker and uh, Pedro so, and Des Green and Des Green. So it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting to see this fight. Um, I think Asuncao is the better fighter, but my only concern with Asuncao is. When's the when's the age gonna start showing up? I mean, you know, he's pulled off all these wins after win after win, and he's getting up there in age. I mean, he's what thirty seven, thirty six. So you know, and Rob Fonsa, probably the biggest bantamweight on the roster, in my opinion. I mean, he's a big boy and uh, he can crack too. Um, you know, in the past, I've always labeled him as a guy that was allergic to adversity because we saw when he fought Lineker and started eating those body shots, he flopped to his back and, you know, pulled that down there off in Brazil. And then he came back and looked amazing against Douglas De Silva and George. I mean, he beat De Silva up and you see what De Silva's record is like 22 and two, you know what I'm saying? And then, uh, when he fought Pedro, he was 
fucking Pedro up for like three minutes, and then, you know, one left hook, he puts his hand up and gets tapped out, and he tapped right away. Like, he didn't try to fight the choke at all, but I understand Pedro uh, does that to a lot of people. And then, um, and then you know, his fight with Thomas, it looked like things weren't going his way early, but then, you know, he he uh, he gutted it out and came back in the second round and, and knocked Thomas out. So Rob Font is fully capable of putting anyone's lights out 100%. I mean, he's that offensively talented, in my opinion. The thing is, Asunta has a way of lolling dudes into this game of where they're playing a distance thing with them, and next thing you know, they're a little gun-shy, and they're not pulling the trigger. It's a little boring of a fight. Then they lose a split. Then they lose a split decision, and then they complain, you know. So, you know, Sunset has a way of doing that, and he'll do that all day. I mean, he's fully content with that, you know. If you're thinking he wants to put put on a point and, like, get a finish here, that's not what he's on. You know, the thing with the Lopez fight, people were saying he got dropped in the first round with that Lopez fight, but a lot of people understand Lopez is hell on wheels that first round. I mean, you saw what he did to Alejandro. So I think Lopez is just a physical guy in the first round. I think uh, Suntow's going to keep his range. I think early things are going to be very serious. I think they're going to be throwing some concussive blows at each other back and forth. And he's got to he's gotta respect Rob Font's power because Rob Font's a big boy. And uh, I think he's just going to play it safe, man. I think he's going to, you know, land that low kick. I think Font has a lot of weight on that front low, uh, on that, on that leg. And I think he's going to uh, hurt his legs. I think he's going to stuff the takedowns and just slightly outpoint him, just slightly land the shot, just like how he did against Marais, just like how he did against TJ, just slightly, you know, edge out the rounds in that one big shot at the end of the round so i got a sunset by split decision Chaz, it's an interesting fight man because uh, you can make an argument that rafael asuncao is a pound for pound talent i mean he beat the entire top 15 if you go back to his resume before the ufc he fucking beat jorge masvidal like the dude's done it all but we know uh age eventually comes into play especially in the lighter weight classes man you know 36 37 years old man man, but uh (laughs) if there's anyone that can do it it is rafael but uh which way you lean it I got a Suntiao as uh, a clear, you know, there are four guys at the top of that division. He's one of them. You know, I think he could beat any of those four guys on any given day. Of course, this is the UFC. You are fighting the best fighters in the entire world. Anybody can win on any, any given day. I do think that Rob Font has a, a, a puncher's chance. I think that Shaq brought up a very good point, which I'm glad that you said this. Uh, it just shows you got you got some good fight IQ on you, Shaq, because I think that the key to this fight is going to be Suntiao's uh, leg kicks. I think he's going to do a great job with those leg kicks. He's fighting a boxer that's putting his uh, all of his weight on that front leg. I think he kicks that leg, kicks that leg, kicks that leg, and then he gets a takedown. I think Asuncio looks to use more of his counterpunching. I hope that he looks to use more of his counterpunching and use uh, Rob Font's aggression against him, not get caught in that. Rob Font's got a great jab, not, get, not start getting caught with that jab, get frustrated and come forward because when Asuncio does come forward, I feel like he – he leaves his hands hanging a little bit at the end of his combinations, and it leaves those counter punches up for Font. And I would hate to see him get caught with something like that, considering I put money on him, and I want to win. So what I say is I say I don't see it as a split decision. I actually see it as a unanimous decision. I think Asuncio uh, really, really, like Shaq said, beats up that front leg, and then I think he gets a takedown every round to seal it. 
Yeah, I think both you guys bring up great points. Uh, it's just about don't let this be the time where he finally gets old overnight. Because I remember when I went to UFC 162 and Anderson Silva was defending his belt. It was about to be his 11th title defense. He was fighting this guy named Chris Weidman who just beat Mark Munoz. And, you know, I, I'm chilling there. I'm like, guys, this is easy money on Anderson. He's about to fucking school this guy. And, you know, Anderson was playing games with him. We are like, yes, it's working. And then out of nowhere, the left hook uh, put him out cold. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, Anderson was around the same age. He was looking invincible. And my boy Rafael is looking like no one can touch him either. But eventually, someone will be able to touch him. But that being that, said... This is doing a split decision every fight. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of those splits, I think, are unanimous. But, yeah, it but is everyone where it is. thinks that Marlon got robbed. And there was no robbery at all. Yeah, Marlon didn't get robbed. <laughs> Shit. Marlon... Uh, got fell into that trap, you know, staring at him, not pulling the trigger. When, when you start trying to play a counter battle with Rafael, that's when you lose. And I, I think my boy Robbie Font can be dragged into that kind of fight, man. You've seen many times... Uh, when you don't play Robbie Font's game, uh, he tends to not come out with the victory. I mean, even in, in the Almeida fight where he did end up pulling it off in that second round, I felt like Almeida was actually uh, picking him apart that first round and a half. But, you know, Almeida, unfortunately, yeah. he is a little bit chinny. Uh, it sucks because he, offensively speaking, is beautiful to watch. He, he paints a picture out there. But, you know, every fighter's got their flaw. And with Tomas, it is that chin. And props to Robbie Font. He was able to drop him with that right hand and eventually seal off the deal with the head kick. I mean, if he hurts Rafael Asuncao, I do think he can finish him. It's just that hurting a guy like Rafael, who's got the kind of distance that he does, you guys mentioned the leg kicks. I do think he's going to be chopping down at that calf the entire fight. And we know with boxers like Rob Font, that's what Rob Font is. He's a boxer, super heavy on that lead leg. And uh, once uh, the mobility starts to go away, it's going to take away from the power of the punches. Then you start getting into that counter game with Rafael Asuncao, you're going to lose a decision. So, uh, yeah, why can't I pull the trigger? So, yeah, I'm going to go with Rafael via... You know, 130-27 and 229-28, unanimous decision. Now, next up in the UFC welterweight division, we got Paul the Irish Dragon Felder. He's minus 155. The comeback on Platinum Mike Perry is plus 135. Now, Chaz, I'll let you go first, man, because uh, one of your teammates, uh, Danny Hot Chocolate, actually fought Mike Perry. It was an incredible fight. Now, the reason I bring that up is because, you know, you can make a case that Hot Chocolate's got a very well-rounded uh, striking skill set. So does Paul Felder. Which way are you leaning in this matchup? Uh, you know, this is another one of those. I think it's a really hard matchup. to. And I was actually – I woke up this morning, and I don't know why I had Platinum Mike Perry on my mind when I woke up out of bed this morning, but I did. So I had to turn on the fight pass and watch all the fights again. I watched, I watched Perry's fights. I watched Felder's fights. Uh, man, this is this is – one of those fights it's like speed kills that's what you think against mike perry you think speed kills because you watch max griffin but to be honest danny roberts is fast danny roberts is fast and he's quick he's a powerful guy and he's fast and uh you know it, it killed me to watch it but you know mike perry did did end up finishing that fight it was a great fight i mean it was an awesome fight Mike Perry did finish it. And so it, it shows that he can handle that speed. Um, I think that Paul Felder has a hard time. The same as I would say Dan Hooker, I think that, but even more so Paul Felder has a hard time when people pressure him real hard and, and walk, walk straight forward on him. He does have a good counter left hook. He, he does have pretty good counters, and he likes to use those elbows in close. But if I were to fight Paul Felder, what I would say 
is don't let him dictate the pace of the striking because he is fast and he can pick you apart from the outside. Don't let him clinch you because he is going to throw those elbows hard. I see Paul Felder not being strong enough in this fight. I know that sounds weird, but I just see him not being strong enough. Like when I watch Charles Oliveira go in for a shot and pick him up and fucking slam him straight down on his back in the first round, of course he did end up end up winning that fight. But you know the MO on Charles Oliveira. You know you know what he brings to the table. It's gonna be a submission or bust. He went out there and looked for that submission on uh on Felder. He had it locked up for the half of the first round, didn't get it and, and kinda of gave up on the fight. I mean that's it is what it is, but he came out and he and he kind of overpowered Felder and took him straight down. I think that Perry's too strong. I think that Perry's going to come straight forward and pressure him the whole time. And I think that Perry's going to end up finishing when you watch like Francisco Trinaldo, that's what he did. He came forward, he came straight forward and he, he really, I, I felt like he was beating Felder up. I felt like, you know, he, you know, people say, well, what if, what if Felder takes, takes Perry down honestly I think that Perry can take Felder down I think that Perry Perry showed that he's got pretty actually pretty decent takedowns he doesn't really possess the ability to really hold somebody down and grind them out on the ground or anything like that but I think that he can get those takedowns because I think he's bigger I think he's stronger and I think that Felder struggles with that I'm gonna go with uh, shit I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with uh, Perry finishing it I'm gonna say he knocks him out Shaka, that's an interesting last-minute matchup. We know Felder was supposed to fight Vic. Perry uh, had a different matchup as well. Now they're fighting each other. Which way are you going? Yeah, man, this fight has a lot of unknowns because, like, I've always suspected Felder had some rough weight cuts coming down to 155, you know? Um, his last fight, he looked like death. Uh, well, he didn't fight, but the cancellation when he was supposed to fight uh, I Kenta. But, I mean, I've always suspected that he had uh, bad weight cuts. And let's say, who knows, when he would have fought Vic and lost, he probably would have moved up to 170 afterwards. So it's a it's a little thing because these guys moving up in weight classes have been doing their thing. I mean, it's just facts. They Guys moving up in weight classes generally win, like, their first two or three fights in that new weight class. Um, so it's like, is the extra 15 pounds of, you know, water in his head going to uh, make him pull the trigger a little bit more? Because, you know, his weakness is... He has this habit of standing right in front of guys, which is what Perry, you know, wants. And, you know, he's trying to prove who the tougher guy is. He's trying to, you know, prove uh, who can eat the, the harder shots. And and that's why he got finished by Trinado. And that's why he lost to Ross Pearson. That's why he lost to Edson, you know, because he was just not uh, utilizing all his tools. But then, you know, there's times where he looks at me. I actually th- thought he looked really good against Charles Oliver. I like the way that he... Uh, I like the way that he uh, handled that, how he went about his job there. The thing with Perry is, I think Perry has the heart. He has got the heart. He's got the mindset and all. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, maybe this time we're going to see a little bit of improvements. You know, he, I think he, you know, besides his other shenanigans, I think uh, outside the uh, outside the cage, I think he's done the right things. I think he did need to get rid of that girl. I think uh, he did need to go to, you know, uh, Greg Jackson's with uh, my boy Frank Lester down there because we see what uh, Frank Lester does. He uh, gets guys in shape and he's looking in better shape. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I agree with uh, Chaz. I think Perry can uh, actually does have like a little bit 
bit of wrestling talent, even though he can't hold top position, he can at least pick guys up and, you know, dump them. But I think uh, he can't win a decision. I think he's not an efficient fighter. I think he's super predictable. But, you know, it's unknown because I don't know how this 15 pounds of life is going to affect Paul. I think he's a guy that, you know, had a, a pulling the trigger issue in the past. 15 pounds might, might uh, you know, at least help that issue out a lot. So I'm going to take Felder by decision. I think uh, Perry's style to win on points is not efficient at all. I think uh, Hot Chocolate, in the Hot Chocolate fight, for example, I thought Hot Chocolate, you know, although he was feeling those shots, in terms of just who was landing more strikes, I thought Hot Chocolate was up by a lot. But, you know, eventually he did get caught and knocked out. We saw Alan Juban, who is super chinny and, you know, barely stays up in most of his fights, go three rounds efficiently against uh, Perry. We saw Max Griffin beat him by decision. And, you know, uh, Ponzinibbio beat him by decision. Um, and then, you know, his other wins are by knockout against Jake Ellenberger, you know, who's got a suspect chin. Hung Yu Lim, who's got a suspect chin. And, uh, you know, I think it is what it is. But it's a tough fight. It's a lot of unknowns. I'm going to go with Felder by decision just because I'm not uh, confident Perry can win a decision. So I'll go with Felder. I mean, I know where you're coming from, man. But uh, the thing with picking Felder by decision is that I feel like a lot of people forget that when you're going to try to beat a guy like Felder, use the same blueprint that you used to beat a guy like Mike Perry. And that's, you know, stay on the outside, pick him apart, make him frustrated to pull that trigger. Because, I mean, I know you remember that Ross Pearson fight. I don't give a shit if he was icing his shins from uh, the Edson fight. You don't go out there and lose a split to Ross Pearson. And I know a lot of people it lost. But it wasn't Ross Pearson to what we know Ross Pearson is today. A lot of people lost a lot of money on that <laughs> fight. You know, he was a minus 500 favorite in that spot. But uh, it is what it is. As far as this matchup's concerned, I do have a hard time seeing Paul Felder landing, you know, the better shots throughout a three-round period and not getting caught that one time. I mean, if he comes out here and wins, he's got to chop down those kicks. You know, I mean, chop down those legs with those kicks and uh, land the check knees, land the whole arsenal because he does have probably a wider arsenal uh, in his uh, toolbox than Mike Perry does. But that being said, man, when Mike Perry starts to bite down, he starts winging those big hands. Uh, one thing I always said about Mike Perry, I kind of considered him like the white Tyron Woodley. I mean, the guy can take a massive shot. He can land a massive shot as well. He's short and stocky for the division. But uh, it hasn't quite materialized because he has been going out there and dropping those decisions. But, I mean, we're talking about huge guys like Santiago Ponzinibbio, huge guys like Max Griffin. I don't think uh, – I think I think Felder's a lightweight. It is what it is, man. So I'm going to go with uh, Perry. I think uh, I think this could be his first decision win if he ends up – you know, he might get picked apart for like the first three minutes of each round and then land that big shot that makes the crowd go crazy, maybe even drop Felder. But if he doesn't win his, a decision, I see him knocking out Felder. So I'm going to go with uh, with Perry here. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Paulo Boracina Costa. He's minus 420. The comeback on Uriah Hall is plus 335. Now, Shaq, uh, is this uh, the UFC's way of uh, telling Uriah Hall you should have taken that Vitor fight? Yeah, this is punishment. I'm going to be quick about this. I think it's going to be a first-round finish. I think Paulo just marches him down. Of course, Hall can end anyone's night with one shot, but I think uh, he got lucky his last fight with Jocko. I think Jocko's just in a fragile state right now. I just think... Uh, I think he was getting his ass beat, and Jocko tried to slam him and do all this extra things, you know, gassing himself out, and then he got caught in the second round. I think, uh, you know, Casa, he's a young fighter. Uh, I liked his win against Johnny Hendricks, but one thing I like about him is constant pressure. He constantly moves forward. He's got to be careful with that return shot with Hall, but I think uh, Hall, 
I don't think he's doing the right things outside the cage, and I think uh, that the second Paulo touches his face, it's going to be over. So, Chaz, it's interesting because Uriah Hall, on his best day, he can knock out Musasi, he can knock out Jocko, he can beat Tiago Santos. On his worst day, he's going out there losing split decisions to John Howard and Rafael Natal. Very, very hard guy to have a good read on. Which way are you leaning here? Uh, you know, I think that he's – I think that uh, Costa – a real contender here um, in this division. I think that he's a real young contender, and I just don't think Uriah Hall is. I think Uriah Hall is a uh, one of those guys that can come out and knock out anybody in the division. So I think uh, you got to watch out for that. But I think that Costa just uh, he just he possesses so many. He he's just so much more well rounded. I like his pressure. I like the way he comes forward. And I I think that's how you beat Uriah Hall. I don't I think Uriah Hall has to stay on the outside. He has to be able to throw that flashy stuff and he has to be able to like catch you with the punch. I see this uh going with a ground and pound TKO, you know, round two. I don't think I don't think uh Hall stands much of a much of a chance here outside of a puncher's chance. And I'm gonna complete that hat trick, boys. I got uh Boracina as well. I think he finishes your eye hall. Look, both guys got knockout power, but I think the difference is that, and you know, I, I'm going to talk about how Boracina is mentally stronger and Uriah Hall did overcome a 10-8 first round to come back and win by knockout his last fight. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Uriah Hall's not tough. You know, he's the fucking UFC fighter. I'm just the guy that talks about it. But that being said, between him and Paulo, I think Paulo's the, the mentally stronger guy. I think if this becomes a war, that Paulo's going to win, but I don't think it becomes a war. I think Paulo gets him out early. So, yeah, I got Boracina as well. I wish uh, the line was minus 250 or better, but unfortunately it's minus 420. Now, kicking off the pay-per-view, we got a light heavyweight matchup between the former kickboxing world champion, Gokan Saki. He's minus 135. The comeback on Khalil Roundtree is plus 115. Now, Shaq, uh, you know, we saw what happened to Khalil his last fight. You know, he got a stand-up fight, and uh, you saw what happened. Look, Khalil Roundtree is one of those guys where, you know, you just really don't want anything to do with him. I think he's a head case. You know, if you guys go on uh, YouTube and watch his post-fight interview for this speech, I mean, the guy's, you know, just uh, a mental case. The guy's you know, talking to himself, taking deep breaths. And, I mean, the fight ain't even until Saturday. You know what I'm saying? I think he's already uh, scared of Gokhan a little bit. But the thing with this fight is I've learned my lesson with these kickboxers. Kickboxing's a, a completely different sport. You know what I'm saying? Um you know, of course, Khalil, even his striking, to be honest, I mean, he really has got a lot of arm punches. That's really why he doesn't get much knockouts. Um, you know, he did knock out uh, Paul Craig and Daniel Jolly, but we know Daniel Daniel Jolly uh, finds his way out that octagon a lot. And, I mean, Paul Craig, like, that guy's... <laughs> he, he was one second away from retirement his last one. You know what I'm saying? So, like, and then anytime, anytime something goes wrong in that in that cage, Khalil Roundtree just completely shuts down and out. But you do have to respect that choke in his last fight with McCall when it comes to Gokhan Saki because we have we don't know how Gokhan Saki's ground game is going to be. I know Khalil Roundtree has no ground game and he's terrible on that mat. The thing is, Gokhan Saki might not know what to do on the mat. You know what I'm saying? These are just things we don't know. Of course, we can speculate and assume and hear. Well, he's training with Alir. He's training with you know this jujitsu guy and this jujitsu guy, but nothing uh we're not gonna really know until they get in there and, and khalil might be able to 
maybe maybe uh, beat him on the mat. You know what I'm saying? He probably you know can. You know what I'm saying? But the thing with Khalil is, I feel like he's gonna hand this fight to Gokan Saki. I think he's gonna have every opportunity to win this fight. I think Gokan Saki. I don't see a, a long, uh, you know, this whole little charade of him being in the UFC. I don't think it's going to last long, to be honest, just because I think he's on the tail end of his athletic career. And, I mean, look at his legs. Uh, he's got that saperbeck Safarov problem. If y'all know my boy saperbeck has got that uh, leg, you know, messed up. Gokan Saki's got the same thing, probably, you know, from checking a low kick in one of those glory fights. But I think uh, he's unstable on those legs. But I just think Khalil's too mentally weak. I think he's too scared. I think uh, he will take Gokan down. But I think uh, Gokan, at some either the ref's going to stand it back up or, you know, because, you know, Khalil's just, he's not very smart. He's not going to, he's not going to take advantage of his opportunity. And I think when they get back up to the feet, Gokhan will just, you know, put him down or Khalil will take it me. So, Chaz, you got the guy who's one and one in his uh, MMA career or you got the guy that's two and four in the UFC? Listen, man, people say Khalil Roundtree sounded in this interview like he's never sounded before. I'll tell you why he sounded like he's never sounded before. He sounded like he's never sounded before because he's about to go out and attempt something he's never attempted before. He's a striker that's about to go out and try and wrestle. He's a striker with bad cardio that's about to go out and try and wrestle. I can guarantee you that that's his game plan. Why is that his game plan? Because that would be anybody's game plan. That's a smart game plan. Unless you're not a wrestler. Unless you have cardio issues. Unless when you have cardio issues, all the power that you possess goes to nothing. And that's what we've seen with Cleo Roundtree. I think that do both guys have cardio issues for MMA? Yeah. Why both guys are strikers. So this is what I see happening. When you saw Frankenstein go for a takedown against uh, Saki, what did you see Saki do? You saw him defend that takedown. How did you see him defend it? You saw him track the hand. What happened was uh, Frankenstein came in, he pushed him up against the cage, he looked for a double leg. And what Saki did that was very intelligent and showed me that he's been working on takedown defense and he has an actual concept of how to stop a takedown is that he tracked one of the hands. He never let him connect his hands for that double leg. And what I mean by tracking is he turned his body, he peeled the hand and say like, say like he's got his left hand trying to wrap around your right leg. You take your right hand, you push it off and you always like, you can put your like, like the you uh, of your thumb and your pointer finger in his elbow and track his hand or on his wrist and track his hand and make sure that he never connects his hands. That forces him to have to try and connect for a single leg. Then you can easily escape from that. I saw Saki do that, which tells me that he knows how to stop a takedown, which tells me that he's been working his wrestling defense, which tells me that Cleo Roundtree is going to try and push him up against the fence, going to try and take him down. He's going to fail. He's going to gas out. And Saki's going to knock him out in the first round. I like it. Look, I'm going to, once again, complete that hat trick because uh, I will never pick Khalil Roundtree ever in any fight. I think if you bet on Khalil Roundtree in any fight, you should probably retire from betting, watch him come out and win this fight now. (laughs) But, look, the thing here is they need Gokan Saki to go out there and fight someone that's going to stand with him. Now, Chaz, you bring up good points. Uh, If Khalil is smart at all, which he's proven that he maybe isn't that smart, but... I mean, come on, his coach has got to be telling him, like, just shoot on this guy. He might not be able to get back up, but you bring up good points. He did have good, you know, anti-wrestling uh, instincts when he fought uh, Luis Henrique Da Silva. But now 
He's fighting Khalil Roundtree, and I mean, Khalil's the kind of guy he that... smiles after he gets tapped out. He's talking to his mom. And <laughs> Khalil's the kind of guy that'll tell his mom to shut up in the middle of a fight. Like, come on, man. Like, And he's the kind of guy yeah. that, you know, people talk about this knockout power and this and that. He, he throws all arm punches. So I, I don't think he's going to be in the UFC this time next year. So I think he's going to be in the NFC. You know, we'd love to have him against some of our local prospects here in Atlanta, you know. Get some of our guys some wins. So after Khalil takes this L, we'll definitely be in touch. Get him in our promotion. Uh, I got Go Kansaki via left hook KO. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got Michael Chiesa. He's minus 160. The comeback on Anthony Showtime Pettis is plus 140. Now Shaq, the first time they were supposed to fight, we actually had a bet on Chiesa. But times have changed, my man, because uh, since that point, you know, Chiesa took another cut stoppage loss. This time not to Joe Lozon. This time to the Dolly. And uh, I hear word on the street is that Kiesa's trying to bounce out the game within two years, and he's more interested in suing Conor McGregor than this fight with Pettis. But that being said, you know Pettis is uh, on his way out too. So which way are you leaning? <laughs> yeah, man, you know, we did have that bet on Kiesa, you know. But the thing is, uh, a bus accident happened in between this, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he got a dolly thrown at him uh, in between this. So, you know, that's a that's a big thing. So, uh, And, you know, the things he's been saying outside the cage uh, – about how it cost him a title shot and just this stopped. and that. Well, then why didn't you fight? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just, just uh, because I know Rose defended her belt um after that. You know what I'm saying? I know everyone else on that belt besides him and Ray Borg uh, fought that night. You know what I'm saying? So, it 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 is what it is. It affects people different ways. Um, but uh, as far as the fight goes, um, you know, AP. The thing is, yeah, he's been getting his ass beat a lot lately the thing is look at who it's against you know it's against dustin Poirier. it's against uh max holloway it's against uh eddie edson but i know those guys have left the damage so kiesa could be a beneficiary to all that you know what i'm saying pettis uh ain't taking damage the same way he used to be we know that his wrestling game is not on point we know that he will go to his back but he's got a super good guard man i mean he threatened dustin several times and we know his armbar triangle game's on point so if he can uh catch michael in that you know what i'm saying um Michael is an awkward guy because he's so long. Even though, you know, he's not the best striker, just striking with him is kind of tough because, you know, he's 6'1", he's kind of goofy, he's long, he just presents a lot of, you know, different angles than uh, a lot of guys. And, you know, he's a tough guy. I'm just not sure of his mental state right now. I don't like what I've been seeing from him outside the octagon right now. Pettis is really, has no pressure. I mean, this is a spot for Pettis just to, Pettis is supposed to lose this fight, you know what I'm saying? Pettis is done. I think uh, this might be one of those trap fights where, you know, the guy might have, he's done, but he might uh, pull off one more win. I don't know if uh, Kiesa can set Pettis up to get taken down like how Dustin did. You know, Dustin, Pettis is a little afraid of those guys on the feet as well. I'm not sure if he uh, respects Kiesa's stand-up. But uh, I'm going to take Pettis by a fluke armbar or something. I think uh, Kiesa gets a takedown or something. But I think uh, he gets a triangle or a fluke armbar. It would be a quick tap. And I think uh, Kiesa will be on his way out the game. Skelly, man. It's uh, interesting because a couple years ago, you know, Anthony Pettis was considered the number one lightweight on planet Earth. It's amazing how quick times change. Now, Michael Chiesa, he also he hasn't won a fight since uh, 2016. It's been a long time, man. So which way are you leaning? Yeah, you know, this fight, uh, I really stayed away from it. To be honest with you, I didn't even watch much film on it because uh, Pettis has frustrated me to the point to where I – don't want to bet on him, but I don't want to bet against him. Um, I can see this going the way of, you know, the Pettis has, has uh, really struggled with pressure. You know, people like, you know, 
what a dos años was the first person to expose that you know you pressure him you take him down you uh dominate him on top you know you can hold him down but pettis has a really tricky guard game you know he he threw up uh triangles and arm bars on poirier of course poirier uh made it through all that before he has got a really good grappling game where really does have a really good top game. He's, he's got really good chokes. He's a, he's a really good grappler. Um, is Pettis, I mean, is Kiesa at that level of grappling to where he can stop those submissions? I don't know. You know, when I saw him get dominated, of course, you know, when you're fighting somebody like Kevin Lee, who's a completely different fighter than, than Pettis, it's hard to say. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I think that Pettis has a lot of avenues to win here. I think he's a better striker. I think he can use his footwork and he can really stay on the outside and pick him apart. If he pulls the trigger, I don't think he will. I think Kiesa pushed him up against the cage and gets a really, really boring decision. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it's a tough fight to call. I was feeling way more confident on Kiesa the first time. Uh, as far as here, the second time, I mean, Shaq, you brought up great points. AP has only been losing to fucking... Dustin Poirier, Max Holloway, Edson, Eddie, Rafael Dos Anjos. But all those dudes, they put a lot of damage on him. And that damage, uh, it adds up, man. So even though we know for a fact Kiesa is trying to bounce out the game within two years, AP is trying to bounce out the game within two years as well. So, you know, it's uh, before. AP is fighting for that. Uh... AP is getting a nice little six-figure paycheck just to show. But look, before, I, I, I bet Kiesa because I felt like it was just uh, Pettis who was done. But now I kind of feel like both these guys are done. But you know what's interesting? Uh, Kiesa actually has more top 10 wins than uh, Anthony Pettis when you go back and you actually look at the resume. I mean, he finished Ally Kenta. He beat uh, Francisco Trinado. He beat Benil Darius. He even uh, has a win over Vic on The Ultimate Fighter. Now, Pettis, uh, you know, he did go in there and beat Cerrone and Benson Touched Henderson back in uh, 2012. Uh, he uh, touched that belt once in his life. He even defended that belt as well. But times have obviously changed now. Uh, I mean, as long as he doesn't get fluke uh, armbarred or fluke guillotined or body kick KO'd, I can see Kiesa getting on top of Pettis. And when Kiesa gets on top, he's super heavy on top. We know Pettis uh, doesn't do the best on his back if he's not going for armbars and triangles. So I do see uh, Kiesa getting on top and landing some devastating shots, whether it's a ground and pound TKO or a decision. I see Kiesa getting the win here. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Francis Ngannou. He's minus 370, the comeback on Derek. The Black Beast Lewis is plus 310. Now, I, you know, I know the fans have been waiting for the next Francis Ngannou fight because I know you all remember what happened that that last time uh, when I bet on Francis Ngannou to beat Stipe Miocic. You know, I had to take my licks like a man. I have definitely rebounded big time since. But now it's all about how is he going to come back here after, you know, getting that five-round ass whooping. But he's taking on a completely different animal in the Black Beast here, Shaq. Yeah, you know, and Gano, uh, Mr. France, you know, he's been, you know, he's a great fighter. Um, his last fight with Stipe, there's no shame in that. It's always first out time, and we know Stipe is the greatest heavyweight of all time. We know Black Beast uh, has a way of pretty much, like, conceding the first round or two and getting guys to try to tee off on him and uh, getting them to gas out, and then he, you know, knocks them out. And the way he comes back from behind a lot is uh, pretty remarkable. He has been knocked out in the past against Hunt by accumulation and by that forearm against uh, Mitrione back in the day. And then... uh. You know, Ngannou, you know, I think he's a, a great athlete. I think he's, you know, I think he's, you know, made out of a lab. I think he hits like a truck. I think uh, he's super physical. Um, you know, the things that came out in the Stipe fight, you know, they were just the things that 
we never got to see in his run up until that fight. We never got to see him come back from any adversity. We never saw him in any tough positions. His, all his fights were smooth sailing. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Overeem's probably a little bit done now. But the thing is, with this fight, I could so see Ngannou coming out here and uh, Black Beast putting his back on the fence. You know, if Black Beast uh, stays conscious... I think it's going to be an interesting fight because I think Francis is that type of guy that when Francis is out of cardio and when his uh, muscles get filled with blood, I think he's completely done. I think he's ineffective at that point, which is completely opposite with Black Beast. You know, Black Beast likes to come from behind Black Beast, even though he's super heavy and he really doesn't do much and he just sits back. When uh, you start getting tired and you start getting a little lazy and you start getting a little lackadaisical, that's when he catches you. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I think Francis is going to be whooping his ass early, but I think there's going to be a point where he doesn't get the knockout. I think his arms are going to you know, fall to his waist, and I think that's when Black Beast comes after him, and I think uh, Black Beast knocks him out. So, Chaz, how do you think uh, Francis Ngannou rebounds from his first uh, UFC defeat here against uh, the Black Beast? I think he does just fine. You know, that was a... That was a- Four more well-rounded mixed martial artists beating him at mixed martial arts. I don't, you know, I, I don't think it probably played too big of a mental toll on him. To be honest, I think uh, he knew that was a possibility going in. He probably didn't envision it going that way. But I think, you know, he's an athlete. He's a great athlete. He's a great fighter, and he knows where his strengths are. He knows where his weaknesses are, and I'm sure he's worked on them since. Uh, I think that that fight probably just showed him he has some work to do to be the number one guy in the entire world. So, I mean, when you're right there at number two in the entire world, you're not doing too bad. Now, uh, you know, I see this kind of going. I hate betting against Derek Lewis because, like you said, Derek Lewis is one of those guys. You really just can't bet against the guy. It's, It's like... And I like him a lot. I think he's super funny. I see him on Twitter. You know, he's from Houston. And at one point, he was fighting my boy, uh, Jared Rochal, before we were in the UFC. And I kept, I was just, you know, Jared's going to beat him. Jared's going to beat him. Jared's going to beat him. He ended up, uh, Jared ended up taking him down about 67 times in that fight. Uh, and then Derek Lewis, he kept him at the end of the third round. I believe it. <laughs> and uh, but Jared was just dominating the fight. And he kept he's so strong get pushing him off of him got up ended up tko and him at the very end of the third round it was heartbreaking for me because jared's a good friend of mine and but that just shows you what that guy's made of he just has a heart you, i mean you can't god sometimes when you're getting just beat up in a fight like you know travis brown look at him he was he was like i don't know something was happening with his body he was just getting picked apart and he you know knocks him out i mean that's just the way this guy works I don't see that happen in this fight. However, I uh, I know that he's been you know he's been TKO. He's been knocked out by Sean Jordan. He's been knocked out by Mark Hunt. Uh, he got he got knocked out by uh, Meathead with that uppercut. I see this kind of going the way of the Matt Mitrione fight. I can see uh, I see it going early, and I, I think uh, Francis catches him with one of those big uppercuts, clips him, and and gets him out of there. Now, just because I, I see Francis being the the more superior uh, technical striker. But if you're one of those guys that likes to take a shot, this is the fight to do it on. I think, I think if you're somebody who likes to see somebody who likes to take shots on the big underdogs, you want to, you want to get that, that max value out of your bet. I think this is a good fight to do it on I don't, I'm not going to do it. Uh, what I suggest doing it, no, but I know that there's a lot of betters out there who they just salivate when they see 
an opportunity to win and the odds in their, you know, uh, big dog. So this would be the fight that you would want to do it on, on this card. And, but I do see Francis Naganyu going out there and, and putting him away pretty early with an uppercut. I mean, look, it's two uh, big men, each uh, each weigh 265 pounds. There's four-ounce gloves. Either guy could go down. And I think both of you guys bring up great points about how Derek Lewis, he'll take that ass-whooping up front, and then in that third round, when you're gassed out from beating on the guy, that's when he goes out there and he knocks you out. But I actually do think that there's a heart difference in this fight, and you guys might be surprised to hear me say this, but I think Francis Ngannou has more heart than Derek the Black Beast Lewis. Because if you go back and you watch that Stipe fight, I don't think that was a matter of, you know, him quitting. I think he tried to get Stipe out of there in that first round. He failed. He had nothing left in the tank. And from that point on, you know, he could have, uh, you know, covered up, let the ref intervene. He could have let Stipe tap him out, but he didn't, man. When he got taken down, he still tried to get back up. He just had nothing left cardio-wise, but he had plenty left heart-wise. Whereas with Black Beast, even though he's a very, very tough guy and I would never discredit that guy's heart at all, you saw him quit against Mark Hunt, right? You you remember when his uh, back started locking up and all these things, and even against Travis Brown, it got super sketchy. I feel like if it gets sketchy here against Ngannou, Ngannou will knock him out. I don't think that there's going to be that comeback for for Black Beast. But that being said, man, if Ngannou doesn't get him out those first two rounds, and Ngannou is completely gassed, and Black Beast comes out in that third round and starts teeing off on him, look. It's heavyweight MMA. Anything can happen. But I do see the Ngannou KO happening early. So I got Francis uh, as the rightful favorite here. Now next up, the super fight. You know, they, they say the main event's the super fight. But this is the super fight. We got Max Blessed Holloway, the featherweight champion. He's minus 135. The comeback on Brian T. City Ortega is plus 125. Chaz, this is your division, man. These are the top two guys. I mean, it must be super intriguing for you as a member of that weight class. Uh, how do you see this fight going down? Um, you know, I'm the type of person, I'm the type of better. I, I never like to bet on the uh, like the main event and the co-main event. I always feel like they're such close fights, and I always feel like they're just fights that I want to stay away from. I'd rather just watch them and, and uh, you know, enjoy the show. That's kind of how I feel about this fight. I feel like I, the, actually the last two fights on this card, I'd rather – watch them and enjoy the show of course i've watched both all of both of these guys fights because they're in my weight class and because i just enjoy breaking down film anyways um this is a hard one because because when you look at ortega you see a guy that's just continuously getting better and better and better and you don't know how much better he's gotten from his last fight to this fight when you will go out there and see him who would have thought that he was going to put Frankie Edgar away on the feet striking? Not me. <laughs> listen to half the battle. <laughs> huh? I said listen to half the battle, but no, everyone had uh, Frankie except us. Yeah, no, I didn't think that Ortega was going to win the fight. I thought Frankie was going to win that fight. I definitely had Frankie. I, I, um, I thought Frankie had the better striking. I thought he had the better wrestling. I thought I was going to win in the fight. Of course, Ortega is one of those guys. He's getting better and better and better, and he has cardio for days. If he grabs a hold of you, he will finish the fight. He, the guy's a freak when it comes to those. When it comes to his jujitsu, he's got such great jujitsu. And uh, my thing is, Max Holloway usually finishes people. He puts he puts a pace on people, man. He's got continuous pressure. He never stops. He's a striker. He he builds up. He accumulates strikes, and then he finds the body, and he really finds the body. Uh, 
I think that it's Max Holloway's time. I think Max Holloway's got an aura about him right now. I, I think the guy is just on a different level right now, mentally, physically. I think that there's just something about him, and I can't bet against him. I think that, yes, Brian Ortega in any of the five rounds has a way to win right now, and it's by grabbing his neck and choking him. I, I know for a fact that uh, Max Holloway's grappling is not on the level of Brian Ortega's. However, Brian Ortega, I don't feel like has good wrestling. I don't feel like he'll be able to take Max down. And I think that his only way to win this fight is by doing exactly what he did to Cub Swanson. I think Max Holloway's smart. I think he uses his footwork. I think he doesn't get trapped against the cage. And I don't think that that happens. I'm going to go with Max Holloway uh, to say that he'll finish Brian Ortega. No, I won't say that. I'll say a a decision, but I'm going to go with Max. Shaq, I mean, this is such a great fight. You got Max Holloway, who many consider to be the greatest featherweight of all time. But, I mean, my boy, uh, Brian T. City Ortega, one doesn't simply knock out Frankie Edgar. One doesn't simply beat, let alone finish, Hanato Moicano. Now he's going up here against the blessed era. I mean, which way are you going, man? I mean, pre-Moicano fight, I thought Ortega was a fraud. I thought, you know, look at his fights when he fought uh, Diego Brandao. He, like, didn't fight for two rounds, but then he tapped him out in the third round and his fight with Guida you know at the time was really sketchy but you know he pulled it out so when he fought Moicano I mean you saw me I thought we thought Moicano was gonna absolutely you know play with him and uh when I say he ate everything in the kitchen sink and I'm talking Moicano was throwing some serious shots at him I gained the utmost respect for that guy and so said I'll never fade that guy ever again I mean he drowned Moicano he broke Moicano he put a a pace on Moicano that Moicano wasn't expecting. Moicano was expecting a different Brian Ortega, you know what I'm saying? And he got something completely different. And that's what shows fight to fight. This guy keeps improving. You know, you look at his numbers, and his, his numbers are ugly, man. He eats a lot of shots. He eats like almost six six strikes a minute. And, you know, when we talk about Max Holloway, I got the utmost respect for Holloway because Holloway does his job a lot, you know what I'm saying? He can brawl with you, he can point you, he can switch stance, he can grapple, he can... His jiu-jitsu is no slouch as well, man. I think uh, he's got one of those camps where, you know, everything is, you know, around him and they build him up, uh, you know, as the face of the gym. Of course he's the face of the gym, he's the uh, the champion, but I just think he's one of these super well-trained fighters. So I would expect the game plan here for Max would actually be to switch it up a little bit and just straight up point. Ortega because I've always felt like that's his weakness I felt like Moicano showed that 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 can be done you know but the thing is you have to stay patient because like Ortega's a wild man man so I kind of compare Ortega to like a 145 pound Tony Ferguson you know with uh just with not as good as wrestling as Tony but kind of similar styles man they just got a way of you know being like a little boogeyman, just making guys wilt some way, somehow. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can do that to Holloway because Holloway's point game's on point. Everything's on point. What can you say about Holloway, man? The guy's really got no weaknesses. The guy's been in the UFC since he was like 19, 20 years old. He's faced everything in that octagon. But so is Ortega. This is going to be the fight. Uh, the fight. This is the best fight in 145 history. I'm going to take T-City, though, man. I just think he has a way of making guys make mistakes, man. You know, these guys think they're comfortable in there when they fight T-City. Moicano thought he was comfortable. Moicano thought he was, you know, teaching him a lesson. Frankie thought he was comfortable early. Cub thought, Cub thinks he was smoking uh, Ortega. You know what I'm saying? These guys, uh, they think they're comfortable in there. He gives you that false sense of security, and the next thing you know, you're tapping out or you're knocked out. So I'm going to take Ortega. One shot, me and Max pulled it out, and, you know, you know, was the professional that he is and won a five-round decision because I do think uh, he's the better point fighter, the guy with the better straight punches, the guy with the better movement. But uh, Ortega's pressure, man, I think uh, will prevail.
Man, you know, I hate even having to give a pick on this fight. Like, I'd rather just sit back and enjoy a pound-for-pound great fight like this is. Man, I mean, this might be the best featherweight title fight in UFC history. I know we said that about Conor and Aldo. I know we said that about Max and Aldo. But now you got to say that about, about Max and Ortega. I mean, with Max, the last time he lost a fight was when he was, like, 21. He fought Conor McGregor. You know, prior to that, he lost that he bullshit. Job a lot. He lost that bullshit decision to Dennis Bermudez. And prior to that... UFC debut against Dustin Poirier. So, you know, Max Holloway doesn't lose a lot, and he's on a fucking 13-fight win streak or something like that. And so is uh, Ortega, by the way. Uh, you know, I see Max Holloway picking apart Brian Ortega for at least three rounds of this fight. It's just Ortega is one of these guys that is able to create this chaos, and he thrives in that chaos, and guys tend to wilt under that pressure. And I think that 99 out of 100 guys do wilt under that pressure, but if there's one guy that won't, I think it might be Max Holloway because he does have that movement game. And you remember that fight with Charles Dubronx. I know I know Dubronx kind of quit in that fight, which he does a lot, Shaq. He, he quits a lot, my man. But look, one thing I liked about that fight was that was his approach against uh, an explosive jiu-jitsu guy, which is let's start mixing those straight shots to the body. Let's stay on the outside. Let's move around a lot. And I think if you can have a five-round version of that, he can come out here and beat a guy like Ortega. But the thing with Ortega is, you know, you slip one time, you... Uh, crouch too low one time you fuck up one time you know you, you do one wrong mistake and the guy is hanging on your neck uh like unlike anything i've ever seen i mean that guillotine he had with cub swanson he made the mid-air adjustment i mean dude like that's like that's some real shit right there and i i've known about uh ortega a long time i mean i bet him against uh, tiago tavares and yeah you know i know a lot of people have knocked out tavares but to sweep him and full mountain him and finish him like that that was some serious shit shaq so uh and obviously, when I bet on Moicano and T-City went out there and drowned him, I was like, whoa, this guy, I never picked against him ever again. I picked him against Cub, I picked him against Frankie, but now against Max, it is super tough. It's not going to surprise me to see this fight go either way. These guys are just that good, but I do think that if Max avoids getting caught, he can win this decision. So I'm going to go with him here, uh, but uh, I would recommend just sitting back. You should pay the 60 bucks for this fight alone. You know what I'm saying? Just buy this fight. Enjoy the other ones too, but this is this is the fight to watch. Now next up, the heavyweight title fight. It doesn't stop with the featherweight title fight because now we got the heavyweight title fight. We got the heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic. He's minus 225. The comeback on the light heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier, is plus 205. I'm not even going to sit here and call him the interim light heavyweight champion. You know, my boy Johnny Bones needs to get his shit together, but uh, we know the deal there. You know, just like the co-main event, this is number one versus number two. Officially, it's number one versus number one, but between you and me, it's number one versus number two because John Jones is number one. Now, Chaz, I mean, you know, normally when you got when you got guys going up in weight class, you know, there's like ten to fifteen pounds between the weights. No, you know, no big deal, even though it kind of kind of is a big deal. But here we got about you know forty pounds between the weights. Not not officially, but you're, but I'm talking about you got a two hundred five er versus a two hundred forty five er. I'm sure DC will be about two thirty five on fight night. Uh, which way are you going? Yeah, I think the the weight wise, uh, they'll probably be about the same size. I think. Uh, this one's a tough one because you, you're talking about, you say, oh, yeah, DC's a light heavyweight. He's coming up to heavyweight. Well, DC's actually a heavyweight that went down to light heavyweight because he was a smaller heavyweight. And his best friend, you know, Kane Velasquez was up to heavyweight. And, and uh, you know, I, they were both top guys. They didn't want to challenge each other. Their teammates, their training partners. Dropped down to light heavyweight because he knew he could make it. Dominated there. And, of course, you know, the John Jones, all the John Jones fights happen, or two, the two John Jones fights happen. But 
DC's never lost a heavyweight. He's a, you know, he's a, uh, he is a heavyweight. He hates the cut to light heavyweight. You know, we might actually see a better DC at heavyweight than we see at light heavyweight. He doesn't have to cut weight. He doesn't have anything to worry about. He can eat his, uh, Popeyes. Isn't that what he likes? Is it Popeyes? And, uh, you know, he can be happy and he can train happy. And I, having said that, uh, this is another fight. I didn't really go back. I mean, of course, I've watched all the fights. I didn't go back and watch the film because it's a fight that I just want to watch. Um, I really like both guys. Both guys are good wrestlers. I think that Stipe has the advantage in the in the boxing department and in the power department. I think that DC's avenue to winning is by uh, wrestling, taking it to the ground, and grinding them out on the ground. Doing that for five rounds against Stipe, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I see Stipe stepping up and uh some of those takedowns i've seen dc getting him down you know maybe once or twice during the fight but i see stipe stuff and a lot of those takedowns and ending up uh you know getting the win getting the probably getting a you know late late rounds to say late rounds tko or decision but uh so i'm gonna take stipe in this fight just with his ability to because he's such a good wrestler and i think he has the power and uh and length advantage with boxing on on DC. Shaq, it's interesting, man, because uh, Chas Kelly did make some great points about, look, I mean, Daniel Cormier is a heavyweight that went down to light heavyweight. But that being said, I'll tell you right now, Stipe Miocic will never see 205 pounds in his life. But that being said, I mean, these two still got to fight each other inside that UFC's octagon. And I know a lot of people are using the arguments, well, Daniel's undefeated at heavyweight. This is true. But he's also undefeated at heavyweight fighting Bigfoot Silva and Josh Barnett, who you know are both retired fighters now. Much respect to them. They had great careers. You know, yeah. he picked them up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so which way are you going? <laughs> you know, DC's got that hood strength, man. You know what I'm saying? DC's got that... Uh that uh, Popeye strength, you know what I'm saying? He picks guys up over the head. Like I said, at heavyweight, what can you say about the guy? He didn't lose. He really didn't even lose any rounds, bro. You know what I'm saying? He's a, he's a monster. I got the utmost respect for DC. But like you said, size, uh, you know how some of the girls say sometimes, size does matter. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, uh, Stipe is just a lot bigger, man. He, uh, I mean, he just fought a complete giant, <laughs> you know, his last fight. Francis is like a legit giant. And I just think Stipe's a little bit too professional. Uh, slightly better boxing, even though Cormier's boxing's on point. I just think Stipe uh, has a way of touching the chin more at a much more higher rate. And I think uh, when Stipe does touch that chin, eventually throughout the fight, that Cormier will feel it. He's been fighting, you know, you know these guys like Gustafsson and, you know, Jones and uh, Volkan. And Volkan Ozdemir, you know. I think uh, Stipe, a guy that, you know, has, like we call him, we call him the heavyweight Bisping, you know what I'm saying? He's got a very efficient point style, but now he's, you know, knocking guys out. So I think uh, Stipe's got this. I think he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. I think he does need to take it seriously because Cormier has never lost a round at heavyweight. So uh, I'm going to go with Stipe, though. No, it's funny you call him uh, the heavyweight Bisming because we got two incarnations of Bisming this weekend. We got Hawaiian Bisming and Brad Tavares on Friday, and we got heavyweight Bisming and Stipe on Saturday. But look, that being said, man, uh, you know, I got so much respect for Daniel Cormier, incredible fighter, incredible person. Also, he's a great guy, and uh, he's done a lot, obviously, you know, Olympic wrestler, the whole bit. The guy is a total consummate professional. But that being said, I feel like a lot of people forget that the dude gets dropped like almost every fight. I mean, Gustafsson. Alex Gustafsson dropped him. Obviously, we know what my boy John Jones did. There's 
Anthony Rumble did it, but you know, you know what happens when you touch that neck. But look, <laughs> the thing with Stipe is I don't think that Daniel's gonna come out here. Power. I don't think Daniel's gonna be able to come out here and slam Stipe on his head. I don't think he's gonna be able to take down the D1 wrestler. Yes, Olympic caliber wrestling is higher than D1, but this is an mm-hmm. MMA fight. This ain't the wrestling mat, mat and uh, I, I actually think there's gonna be a first you round know, knockout. Oh, many uh, non-wrestlers have taken my boy uh, DC down. But look, all, all that said, you know, all jokes aside, I just think that the size is too much. Uh, respect to Daniel for being that ambitious to go up to heavyweight and challenge for that title. Now, it would be interesting if Daniel comes out here and he beats Stipe. Maybe my boy John Jones can take that heavyweight title from DC. Imagine that shit. Imagine those storylines. But uh, that being said, uh, I, I think Stipe knocks out Daniel Cormier, and I think he does it probably in the first or second round. So, yeah, I got Stipe and still via knockout. All right, boys. Well, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC 226? My fight to watch is going to be Rob Font versus Rafael Asensio. People have been saying Font's uh, you know, a future champion for years, so we're really going to finally see how he's fighting the number one contender, in my opinion. Asensio, if he wins this, this will just be another day of work, another top 15 win. Now he'll beat you know, pretty much everyone besides like a couple guys in the top 15. So that's my fight to watch. So Chaz, I mean, it's a great card, a lot to pick from. What's your fight to watch for UFC 226? Uh... I think, I think the fight to watch is, I mean, God, you just have to go with uh, Holloway. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just the fight to watch, man. That's just going to be such a good fight. Two guys that are really at the peak of their game. Uh, I don't think there could be a better matchup this year than that fight. It's just going to be, I think it's going to be an amazing fight, and I can't wait to watch it. And then I think the fighter watches, Go Kid, the Rebel, Saki! <laughs> I think he's coming out, getting a knockout, and continuing that MMA career. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Look, I mean, it's hard to disagree here when you say that Ortega versus Holloway is the fight to watch because it absolutely is the fight to watch. If my friends call me, my non-betting friends call me and ask me if there's one fight to watch, obviously I'm going to tell them, look, guys, you have to watch Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega. I mean, number one versus number two. And it's funny because we had a number one versus number two recently as well. Uh, What was that fight again? What was that last title fight we had? Robin Yoel? Yeah, Robin Yoel. That was number one versus number two. And as of right now, that's uh, my fight of the year candidate right now. That fight was so fucking good. But now we got that again, except instead of being at middleweight, it's at featherweight. Max versus Brian. uh, You know, even if Brian T-City takes an L here, I still think he can be a future champion. Even if Max Holloway gets gets tapped out here, I think he can get a rematch and, and come back. So... You know, I don't think the loser of this fight is going to fall back that much, unless it's like a first-round embarrassing loss. Oh, man, and then Moicano's in the mix. You got guys like Cater. My boy Skelly's coming off injury. So, I mean, bro, we got – the featherweight division is uh, serious right now. So, Holloway versus Ortega is uh, your fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 226? My fighter to watch is going to be Venata. You know, he's the second fighter of the night, but this guy's got one of the most entertaining styles. I think he's paid his dues, and I think he's about to see the benefits from that. 
Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. For me, my fighter to watch is uh, going to be Paulo Costa. Look, I know he's a minus 420 favorite. I know he's supposed to smash your eye hall, but a lot of people forget. Paulo uh, Boracina is coming off a serious injury, man. He had to pull out of a fight already before, which uh, he had a nice matchup. And uh, now he gets to take Uriah Hall. You know, Uriah had to pull out of a fight with Vitor Belfort on uh, weigh-in day. And my boy Dana said he was partying in those clubs in L.A. So now they go from Vitor Belfort. Uh, to Paulo Costa, I, I think there's a reason why they did that, so I'm very intrigued to and see. Uh, Paulo to the states two times in a row, you know, and he's speaking English, so they want him to uh, do good. Oh yeah, they got a new superstar potentially if he can get the job done here. So that is my fighter to watch. So, Chaz, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, the fans can follow you at Chaz Skelly. Uh, any message for them? No, no, nothing at all. Nothing. Awesome. Well, hit this man up on Twitter. Uh, Chaz, one of the one of the sharper fighters in terms of betting, man. That's why we got you on the show, man. So we appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk soon, Chaz. All right, thanks a lot, guys. It was a pleasure. Have a great day, man. Bye. And now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, what's going on? Hey, not much, man. I'm ready to make some money this weekend. Lots of money to be won on Kings, and uh, I hope I get a lot of it. Well, man, I mean, there's two title fights, two super fights, two number one versus number two on the lineup. And, I mean, without further ado, man, this main event between Stipe and Daniel Cormier, it's going to be unbelievable. Two of the greatest competitors we've ever seen inside the UFC's octagon. Now the question is, do you think size is going to be a factor for uh, the greatest heavyweight of all time, Stipe Miocic? Uh, I think it'll help him a bit, especially in the stand-up game. Although I think he's going to win standing uh, either way. My only question is, is he going to be able to stop the takedowns and stop them consistently? And if he can't, is he going to be able to get back up? Uh, I think it's a pretty close fight, actually, closer than the odds say. But I do think he's the rightful favorite. Uh, and I, I really do want interest in both of these guys because this is probably the fight that I would want to go closest to 100% on. I just don't see how either one of these guys don't pay off their DraftKings value. We got Miosik at 8900 uh, 10x if that's only 89 points. There's no way he's not going to get that with a win. Uh, I would imagine if he wins, he's probably going to get a knockout. Uh, so if he's going to get that, he's going to beat the 89 points. But then at Cormier, he's only 7,300. If he wins, he could get up to 100 points, so he could smash that 7,300 price tag. So I definitely want both guys in lineups. You could stack this fight in cash. Uh, but overall, this is probably my favorite fight on the card. So speaking of favorite fight on the card i mean for me if you listen to this podcast obviously you know my fight to watch is max holloway versus brian t city ortega you know the last time i talked about number one versus number two was robert whitaker versus yoel romero and it turned out to be you know the number one contender for fight of the year as of right now when we're recording this podcast and i have a feeling that max holloway and ortega can also live up to that kind of hype live up to that kind of expectation and it'd be interesting to see if someone's confident picking a side what's your opinion on this matchup kyle uh, I'm going to go with Holloway on this one. But again, I mean, I want both guys in GPPs. And again, you can stack this fight in cash as well. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, although I'm looking forward to this more as a fight in general, the other one I'm looking forward to on DraftKings more. I think it'll just score higher as a whole than this one will. Uh, I do think the winner of this fight will score well. If Holloway wins, he's probably going uh, to piece him up on the feet for however long the fight lasts, and he'll add up points and score probably over 100 in a win doing that. And if Ortega wins, he's likely going to get a submission or even a knockout. 
Uh, and if that happens, I think he's going to at least beat his $7,900 price tag. I just think Holloway has the higher ceiling in this. Uh, Ortega's lost multiple rounds before he's got his finish in the past, and that cost him in points. His last fight against Frankie was the only time he's ever had more than 100 points. Is that uh, right? So I, I didn't just, know that. I think uh, I'm more interested in Holloway just for the ceiling, really. But I'm going to have both guys in lineups. I will have more Holloway than Ortega, though. Wait, Ortega's only scored more than 100 points one time? Yeah, yep. So I can read it out. I won't name the name. I'll go in order from last fight to his first. So we got 113, and then it goes... 82, 78, 86, 63, 87, and then uh, he had a, a 10. I don't know what that first was. Oh, that's a no contest or something. Uh, so, yeah, never never wow. even over 90 before. So it, it's really just because he's losing those early rounds. He's not putting out the output that you would want on DraftKings, but he does always get the finish. So you're going to get at least like the 50 points from the win bonus there. And Max is going to make him fight at a higher pace. So I'd imagine if he does win, he could even get up to 100 points. I just think Holloway has the better shot at over 100. Dude, that's kind of crazy to me that he didn't score 100 points for the Cub Swanson or the Moicano fights. I mean, you know, just on paper, you think finishing a guy like Moicano or Cub Swanson is going to get you those 100 points. But uh, evidently not, Kyle. Yep, evidently not. <laughs> he just doesn't get enough of the takedowns, really. Uh, I don't think he's had a takedown in his last five or six fights, so he's not getting any of those five points that you would want him to start racking up. Like, he can just get five and five and five and five. Ortega doesn't get that. He kind of waits for them to take him down, and then he just locks in a submission. Uh, so he's a great fighter in general. He's just not the best DraftKings fighter, if that makes it makes a lot of sense, and I'm really glad you brought that up. Now, another thing you told me was that, you know, between this matchup with Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis, you told me a couple months back that uh, Francis Ngannou is a future world champion, but he's going to have to take that first L to Stipe Miocic. And uh, you were right about that. I was very wrong about that, but now he's rebounding. So uh, you sticking to the game plan? Is he going to rebound here in style? Yeah, man, I think so. I think uh, we're probably looking at a first-round knockout. Um, so yeah, I like Ngannou, who's one of my favorite plays on the card. Uh, but I mean, they are heavyweights. Anything can happen. I want at least one lineup with Lewis in it, just in case he gets the knockout, because if he does get a first round knockout at 6,900, he'll for sure be on the winning lineup. So I'll probably just throw him in my favorite lineup or something like that. And then use Ngannou and much more lineups. I mean, if Lewis Um, wins... If Lewis so, wins, uh, you know it's probably going to be like a third-round knockout. That's what he tends to do. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. I mean, but if he's throwing haze, it could hit him. I mean, you never know with these heavyweights. It, it, it only takes one, really. Uh, my only issue with Ngannou is it only takes one with him as well, and he's not going to be going for takedowns. Um, so I think he really only has a ceiling of uh, like 105 points because it's likely not going to be a lot of significant strikes leading up to the knockout. Uh, so he, he doesn't have that 120 point ceiling, but I think he's pretty safe for about 100. So Paulo Costa is taking on Uriah Hall. Obviously, we see Paulo Costa as a big favorite here. You know, uh, we can't just pick our underdogs. We got to get some big favorites on our lineup too. The question is: Is Paulo Costa about to cover the salary cap? Yeah, I actually think he has a higher ceiling than Ngannou, and I think uh, he's also pretty safe as well. Uh, so I'm not sure. Who I like more of the two, I'll probably use them 
pretty evenly. Uh, or if if I only have 9,300, I'll obviously use Engano. If I have 9,400, then I'll throw in some Costa. I think it'll be tough to get them both in your lineup, but I'll probably try and make some lineups like that as well. Uh, but, man, I, it's, this is his toughest matchup by far. Uh, Hall will give him a good stand-up striking uh, match that he's going to want. Uh, and if if he goes to the third round, I think Hall's going to take over. So I think uh, Costa needs to get a first or second round finish, especially to pay off his $9,400 price tag. But even to get the win, uh, I think he has a good shot at doing it. But I'm kind of nervous. So that's why I think I like Ngannou a little bit more. Oh, so you think my my boy Boracina might have some cardio issues? I'm not. I'm not, I'm not sure. sure. We've just, just never seen him in the third round, you know. And then if Hall can weather the storm like he did in his last fight, the third round could be his. You never know. And he could throw another spinning wheel kick. Who knows what's going to happen? I'm just looking forward to this fight. Uh, I think it's going to be a standing battle. We're just not going to get any takedowns likely with Costa. He's going to be looking for that knockout. And, I'm going to say he's going to get it, so I, I do like him first-round knockout. So two more fights before I let you go, man. Obviously, Rafael Asuncao is taking on Robbie Font. And Rafael Asuncao, he's basically beat everyone in the top 15, including the champion. But the thing is, you know, he's 36-37. Is this going to be the time where he finally gets old overnight, or is it going to be uh, business as usual, another win for Rafael Asuncao? I think, I think he's going to get a win here. I do think it'll be a pretty close fight. He'll just be able to squeak out the rounds and get a decision in my eyes. Uh, my issue with him, though, is he's 9,100 on DraftKings, and he has not scored over 100 since 2013. Uh, looks like his last three wins, he had 78 points, 52, and 50. So I'm just really not too interested in that 91 Hundred price tag. I'd rather try and find a way up to Ngannou or Costa. Uh, so I think a sale might be a fade for me. Maybe throw him in a lineup or two if you want to be contrarian. Uh, he is my pick to win, but I think Font is the better DraftKings player in this one. He's only seventy one hundred. He could get a first round knockout, pay that off big time. Uh, he averages eighty seven DraftKings points per match. So if he does get a win, he'll for sure pay off his price tag no matter what happens. I think. Uh, I just really. I'm not confident in him getting the win. However, I would rather use him in DraftKings over Asante. you got to have the dogs, like you said. I think he's won. Last but not least, we got Lando Venata taking on Drakkar Close. Uh, man, it's going to be a very exciting fight. You know, Lando's got an 100% hit rate in terms of performance bonuses, and we know Drakkar likes to come out here and brawl as well. Uh, which way are you leaning? Uh, I'm going to lean with Venata on this one. So it's kind of the opposite of Asante. Venata, uh, I think, is going to get the win as well, but I'm more confident he can pay off his $9,000 price tag because uh, he does fight at a heavy pace. Uh, in, last, in his last fight, he had a draw, and he still scored 85 points. So if he got the win, uh, if, he did, if he didn't get the point taken away, that would have been, what, 115-point fight. So uh, Sunsau doesn't have that kind of ceiling, but for $100 cheaper, Venata does. Uh, so I, I do like Venata in this fight. Uh, and then on the other hand, close, he just doesn't score enough either. So even in a win, he, he could 10x his price tag, but I don't see him getting anywhere near 100 no matter what happens. So I think it's really Venata or pass on this one for me. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this weekend. We got two cards, and uh, the fans can follow you at Big Molly 3. And uh, Kyle, uh, happy Independence Day, my man. 
Thanks, man. Uh, I'll have my po- my article posted uh, tomorrow, Thursday, on MMA Outbreaker. You can follow me on Twitter. I'll post the links there. But every fight, I'll break it all down. Less than eight bucks. So hit me up. All right, Kyle. We'll talk soon, man. All right, man. Good luck this weekend. You too, bro. And that's why Big Molly is the DraftKings guy for half the battle with Shaq. It's going down this Saturday, UFC 226. Max bet season on the line at 226. I mean, we got a max bet for a tough finale, too. You know, the odds, uh, you know. They, they, they got a little bit, uh, a little steam. But the odds for this uh, 226 max bet are still within max bet range. And uh, they know the numbers. I mean, we don't got to sell this every single week. They know yeah, the deal. I'm not even going to sell it to you like how I do normally. But you guys already know the deal. It's going down. And uh, this is the best time of the year to sign up, man. It's the summer, man. Things are getting hot in the summer. We got these marquee matchups coming up, not only this weekend, but in Boise. Hop on these easy money mismatch opportunities, and let's get the job done. Absolutely. Uh, you know, 226, obviously, we're going to win with this max bet. But like we've been telling you guys, Boise is going to be our biggest event of the year. And the opportunities on that card, uh, I'm very excited about that. But... One thing I want to say, if you guys get this month package, you're going to get all the way from the tough finale to UFC 227. That's a, I believe that's six events, so that's definitely worth the price of that month package. So definitely sign up for that VIP one month and uh, follow me at Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Follow our official Instagram at Best Fight Picks Official. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes, and uh, we'll be back next week for more. And I got to give a shout out to Santiago on Twitter. He uh, he loves when we say my boy in front of everything. And he wanted to, you know, give me a, give him a shout out, uh, calling him my boy. So shout out to my boy, Santiago. Hey, shout out to my boy, <laughs> Santiago. Yeah, I know uh, the whole my boy thing. Uh, a lot of people uh, find it kind of interesting. And it is kind of hilarious. I mean, you know, we're not, we're not going to tell them too much about our sense of humor. But uh, we definitely are aware of what we're doing here. So thank you guys so much for the support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.